0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter number 9 this morning. The book of Mark and chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us this morning. Mark chapter number 9. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter number 9. And as you're turning and standing, let me ask you a question. Do you remember your first job? How many of you remember the first job you ever had, right? First job I ever had, I worked at a drive-in movie theater in Georgetown, Indiana. On the first day of work, the fellow took out a large ladder, extended it as far as he could to the top of the screen. He took another ladder, extended it as far as he could, just maybe five or six feet apart, right next to each other, laid him at the top of the screen and said, now here's what I want you to do. Take that paint bucket... Climb to the top of that ladder and paint a black line all the way across the top of the screen. I said, okay, well, why, why do you have two ladders there? He said, because I don't want you to come down. That's wasting time. So I want you to step over and then I'll move the ladder around you. Osha would not have been happy with that guy. I was a 16-year-old kid. I had no other choice. I began climbing the ladder. I get halfway up the ladder and I did what any sane person on a ladder that high would do. I began shaking like this. The ladder looked like the ocean waves. That's what it looked like. Remember your first job? Felt completely helpless. How many of you remember when they handed you your your child for the first time? How many of you remember that? I remember when they handed me Gabriel. Now what? <laughs> don't know what to do. They said, Well, you can just, you know, coddle him. Okay. Am I doing that right? I don't know what to do. A man said, Just give him to me, right? Ah, I'm going to break him, you know. We're faced with situations like this in our lives. The first time you're left alone. The first time you're put in charge. You think you're ready. But not ready yet. The situation you were going to read about in Mark 9 is a situation where the disciples find themselves just like this. Jesus is up the mountain with the three, Peter, James, and John. We studied that last week. The Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah. Moses, appear with him on the mountain. And the disciples are at the bottom of the mountain. They're the nine by themselves. And someone brings to them a problem. And now they're forced to try to figure out the answer. Watch what happens. Look at verse 14 of Mark 9. The Bible reads like this. And when he... So the he there is Jesus, all right? So... When Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. So there's a large group that's gathered around him and the scribes, the the, the religious people, are arguing with the disciples about what's been taking place. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, when they saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. They they and, and running to him saluted him. And he, Jesus, asks the scribes, What question ye with them? He says, What are you arguing with my disciples about? And one of the multitudes, so somebody from the crowd, answers and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, wherever the spirit takes him, the spirit, he, teareth him. The spirit tears him. The spirit causes him to foam. He says, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake unto thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. And he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? This is a great phrase. Bring him unto me. could preach a whole sermon on that phrase. I won't, don't worry. Bring him to me. And they brought him, they brought the boy unto him. They brought the boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, when the boy saw Jesus, straightway the spirit tear him. The spirit rips away at the boy. And he fell on the ground and he wallowed, foaming. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came to him? And the father said, and he said, of a child, And oftentimes it casts him into the fire and into the waters and it destroys him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can help me, would you please help me? If you can help me. And Jesus said to him, if, if thou canst believe. The man says, if you can do something, would you please do it? And Jesus says, if you can believe, I'll do it. Verse 24, And straightway the father of the child cried. This is a great answer. The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, rent him sore. He came out of him, and he, the boy, was, uh, was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And he was come into the house. And his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Prayer equals power. Look, prayer equals power. Got a problem in your marriage? Prayer equals power. Got a problem with your kids? Prayer equals power. Got a problem with your finances? Prayer equals power. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us To have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says to us in this passage. Give us good understanding this morning. Father, remove the distractions so we can focus on your word. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The disciples find themselves in three situations. We'll look at them. The the disciples find themselves in three situations. First, they find themselves lacking power. That's the first point. They find themselves with a struggling faith. That's the second point. And they find themselves neglecting prayer. That's the third point. The The disciples find themselves lacking power, struggling faith, neglecting prayer. Let's take them in order. They're they're lacking the power. That's what the verse teaches us. Really the beginning part of the story. Verse number 14 all the way down to verse number 18. This man has brought to them his son. It's a great place to take your children. You You ought to take your children to Jesus. Hear me mom. You ought to take your children to Jesus hear me, hear me, Dad, you ought to take your children to Jesus. A lot of times we spend uh, lecturing our children about what they ought to do, what they should do, where, where they should be, where they should go. We spend a lot of time talking to our children about our children, but how much time do we spend talking to Jesus about our children? You ought, to, you ought to talk to your husband or your wife about a situation or problem you're going through. But how much time do we spend talking to Jesus about the situation or time that, that, or, or difficulty that we're going through with an individual person? The disciples find themselves lacking power. And as a result, the scribes have gathered around the disciples because they went to cast the demon out of the boy. And they could not, the Bible says... It tried to cast them out, yet they were powerless to do so. Look at verse 18, I want you to see that. Look at the very end, and they could not. And as a result, this confrontation with these scribes happens. That's letter A. It's a confrontation with the scribes. So Jesus is up on top of the mountain. The man has brought the boy in order to see Jesus. Jesus is up on the mountain. And so the disciples step in as, as the representatives of Jesus. You'll remember this. The disciples were entrusted with, from Jesus with power for ministry. The disciples had gone throughout all the region teaching and preaching, performing miracles... And yet what the disciples soon find is they find themselves with limitations. They find themselves lacking ability, lacking power. If we were honest, if we were honest, we find ourselves oftentimes in this life with limitations. You ever feel... You ever feel like you just don't know enough, aren't qualified enough, aren't good enough, aren't strong enough? How many of you ever feel that way sometimes in this life? Yeah, me too. And the disciples find themselves here entrusted with ministry from Jesus, but they also find themselves lacking the power. They they lack this ability in, in order to perform the thing that God has entrusted to them. How many of you ever heard the phrase, God will not bring anything to you that you aren't strong enough to handle? How many of you ever heard that before? How many of you know that's a lie? Yeah, you ever been brought something that's, that's stronger than you? How many of you ever been brought something that way? Yeah, of course. It's not true. God, God, God does not keep back from us things that we are too weak to handle. No, no, God brings to us things that are far greater than us, far stronger than us. And he brings that to us to remind us just how much we need him. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how strong I am. It's how strong is he? It's not how much you know. It's not how much I know. It's what does he know? Am I following after him? The disciples find themselves in a situation, this is way too big for them, and they're way too weak for what they found themselves in. Remember what Paul says about this? Paul says, we have this treasure, in earthen vessel. You know what that means? That means that God has put in us his spirit. If you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God has put in you his spirit, and his spirit is the treasure. What you and I are, are just earthen vessel. What you and I are, just jars of clay. What you and I are, just dirt. That's all you and I are. The the, the treasure isn't you and the treasure isn't me. The the treasure is him. And yet he has chosen to put in us an earthen vessel. He's chosen to put in an earthen vessel, rather, a treasure which is his spirit. You, You live long enough, you start to learn this. You start to learn just how frail and weak you are. How many of you already know this about yourself? It takes more and more cups of coffee and more and more Advil to get me going every morning. It's a true story. I was walking down the steps the other day from the house. I went upstairs to check on Jesse for something. And I'm walking down the steps. And as I step down, I all of a sudden hear this click. I thought, what was that? I must have stepped on a Lego or something. No, you know, there's no Lego there. I thought, oh, that's weird. I took the next step, click. I took the next step, click. All of a sudden I said, my knee is randomly clicking. It's like the Tin Man on Wizard of the Oz, just click, just click. So what's what's wrong with me? What happened? I said, Amanda, listen, click, 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 click. She goes, I know what that is. I read about it. I go, what is it? Maybe I have some rare disease. She goes, it's called being old. (laughs) So I don't like this thing then. Take it away from me. We're aware of our own weaknesses. Or at least we should be. The disciples, they're not aware of their own weakness. You can see them, right? They've already performed a ministry. They already have a long resume of all kinds of ministry work. And here comes this boy. Here comes this dad bringing his son right where he ought to take his son. You ought to be taking your children to Jesus. And he brings this boy. Jesus is at the top of the mountain. And the disciples are going, hey, don't don't worry about this. We got this one. We've already handled something like this before. And they could not. So the confrontation happens. Notice the condition. Why does the dad bring the boy to Jesus? Well, it's very clear to see. Look at verse 17. He hath a dumb spirit. The spirit tears at him. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes with his teeth. He pines away. That, that word pineth away literally means he's wasting away. Go, go forward. Look at verse number 22. Look what happens to the boy sometimes. He throws himself into the fire. He throws himself into the water. But you should mark this word. To destroy him. To destroy him. This is, this is not Mark giving us a, a uh, description of the boy's medical condition interesting because you read all kinds of bible commentators on this and they'll say like this is some form of our modern day understanding of epilepsy right they'll say this is some form some modern understanding of and then they provide some kind of medical condition that, that this coincides with in our day and age but I want you to be very clear about this this is not Mark describing a medical condition this is Mark describing a spiritual condition be very clear on this This is not Mark describing a medical condition. This is Mark describing a spiritual condition. What what, what it means is it means that not every medical condition that you and I face can be tied to some kind of demonic or spiritual thing. Sometimes it's tied that way, sure. Sometimes it's not tied that way. That's what we also must recognize. Not everything medically is something spiritually. Well, you didn't, you got really quiet on that. Not everything medical is spiritual. Let me be very clear. Don't blur that line. Mark isn't blurring the line here. Well, here's what Mark is saying. Mark is saying, here's the spiritual condition that this boy has found himself in. What's the spiritual description that's being given? Here's the spiritual description being given. He has a demonic spirit. We have to be careful here also with demonic spirit and understanding this. In, in circles like ours, churches like ours, you can be guilty of doing one of two things when it comes to demon possession. First, there's a demon everywhere. Maybe sitting right next to you. How many of you think that's true? No, don't raise, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't point. Just do this. No, no, don't do that. I got, I got a flat tire on the work today. That must be the devil trying to get me. Okay, well, it might be, it might be, or it might just be a nail on the road. Right? "Ah, I was trying to get to work today, car wouldn't start. Might be the devil. Well, it might be the devil, or it might be you didn't put gas in the car. (laughs) Stop blaming the devil because you didn't stop and get gas. Okay? Okay? And so sometimes what happens in circles like ours, churches like ours, what happens is the demons are everywhere. The demons are everywhere. But here's, what, here's also what happens. You can also be on the other end of this and the demons are nowhere. You see? Yeah, nothing, nothing's ever spiritual, nothing's ever uh, has any kind of ra- spiritual ramification, nothing has any of that kind of influence. We're just, we're just here just to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die, and we're oblivious to the reality that there are times, there are seasons in our lives where we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in high places. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. This is a spiritual thing we are engaged in. And be careful that you aren't falling on this side, falling off this side of the horse or falling off that side of the horse. Here's what we can know from certainty about about this boy. Here's what we know that there is the reality of demonic possession and the reality of demonic possession in any kind of form is always to destroy, to damage, to distort the image of God in man. This is always the goal. This is us never to enhance. It's never to fulfill. It's never to make better. It's always to distort and to destroy. Notice the text. Look at, verse, look at verse 22. It throws him in the fire. It throws him in the water. Notice why? To destroy him. What's his intention? What's his goal? His goal, his intention is to destroy him. That's what he's trying to do. This is the work of the devil in our world. To destroy, to distort, to damage, to tear down. Watch to tear down all the good that God is doing. And to tear down all the good that God has done. To tear down all the good that God is doing. To tear down all the good that God has done. It's a confrontation with the scribes. this condition of the boys. But let me show you one more thing about the disciples lacking power. Watch this. Verse 18, and they could not... It's a complete failure on the disciples. They're absolutely useless. They're absolutely powerless. They're absolute no help at all. That's it. No help at all. Take note here that the failures of the disciples not only reflected badly on the disciples... ...but it reflected badly on Jesus. Listen. The failures of the disciples... ...not only reflected badly on the disciples themselves... ...but it reflected badly on Jesus. You you sense that really in verse 22... ...where the man says, if thou canst do anything... So the man was convinced that Jesus could heal his son. But now he's had an interaction with the disciples where they're lacking power. They're limited. They're unaware of their limitation. They're full of arrogance and pride. And as a result of that now, this man is questioning whether Jesus can in fact heal his son. The same is true for us. We must be reminded of this. We bear the name of Christ. As Christians, we bear the name of Christ. And our failures not only damage our own reputation, but our failures can tarnish and damage others' perception of Christ as well. Which is why over and over in the Bible you're given this strong admonition from the writers of the New Testament. We should strive to walk worthy of the vocation where which we are called. We should strive to walk in holiness. We should strive. Now watch. He doesn't say you will because the reality is you and I can't. But we should strive to do that. That's what our goal ought to be. What our aim should be. It's true, though, at times, as God's people, we step out of line with God's intention, out of line with God's word. We are not filled with the Spirit, but instead operate according to the ways of the flesh. And we should be reminded here that when this happens, it not only damages our own reputation. But it can tarnish others' perceptions as well. How many have ever heard somebody say something like, well, I would go to church if it wasn't for these Christians that I know? How many have ever heard somebody say something like that? This is exactly what they're aiming at. This is exactly the point. This is the direction in which they're shooting. At Christians at times, myself, yourself included, can be thoughtless. So where and when we step out of line with the word of God and where and when we step out of line with the will of God, we should seek to quickly make things right. You guys are really quiet on this very first point. And it's just the first point. But, but rather than saying, oh, I know Christians who did some stuff that wasn't so Christian, I just give up on Christians altogether. Rather than doing that, rather than making us despair, it should instead remind us that Jesus started the church with imperfect people. The only perfect person is Jesus. Jesus. The pastor ain't perfect. Don't get so happy on that point. Some of you, you haven't written anything down. That's the only thing you wrote down this whole time. I'm watching you. The deacons aren't perfect. Amen. The Sunday school teachers aren't perfect. The children's workers aren't perfect. The Christians aren't perfect. The choir isn't perfect. The only perfect person is Jesus. We should be reminded of this. And when Jesus begins his work in this world, he begins with imperfect people. So instead of despairing, well, I know some Christians who weren't so Christians. Instead, we should marvel at the fact that God has chosen to use imperfect people. The Apostle Paul says it like this. I am... The chiefest. I'm the chief sinner. Do you feel that way about yourself? You see, here's how most people think about their sin I am a sinner. I'm on the totem pole of sin, but I'm not the chief sinner. I know one guy is a lot worse than me. Paul says, No, no, no. I'm the chief sinner. We've done this hundreds of times here at First Baptist. If you could take a mind reading machine and you could hook it up to my mind and you could project onto this screen all of the thoughts that I had last week up onto this screen, you wouldn't waste the next 30 seconds listening to me finish this sermon. But before you just walk out, if I could hook a mind reading machine up to your mind, and project all your thoughts from this past week onto the screen. I wouldn't waste another 30 seconds preaching this sermon to you. So instead of despairing, I'm done with church, I'm never going back to church again. Instead of despairing, we should be reminded that God has an incredible grace that he has given to us that he would use ordinary, broken, imperfect, sinful people and we should delight in the fact that this is who our God is. The idea that God would use you or that God would use me is pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, he has other options. In the Bible, he says, if you won't do what I ask, the rocks will do it. Instead of using me, God could have used a rock. In the Bible, he uses a donkey. Instead of using me, could I have a horse up here? That would be fine. Be quite the show, I'm sure. And yet, God in his plan has chosen to use us. Think of that. God in his plan has chosen to use us. And here's what happens. We fall into the same same trap as the disciples. And we begin to believe that it is us instead of it being him. And we need to be reminded it's him. It's not us. Any good that comes from my life is due to God and God alone. Amen. Any good that comes out of my family is due to God and God alone and maybe Amanda. Amen. But definitely not me. Well, don't, don't amen that that loud. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. The disciples lacking power. You find yourself lacking power, you're in good company. You're, this, is what, this is what he saying. you're in good company. You're in good company. Lacking power, watch. Second, the disciples in the text, struggling faith. we got to go quick. Struggling faith, look at verse 19. He answereth, and saith unto them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. They brought him unto him. Now you see here in the text, you see a collision between light and darkness. So here's what the father. The father believes that Jesus would. The father just doesn't believe that Jesus could. The, the father believes Jesus would do it. He, he thinks Jesus is willing. He just doesn't know if Jesus can. And what takes place in this collision of darkness, verse 20, he brought him unto him when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, he fell on the ground, he wallowed and foams. It's a collision of darkness. What takes place is this immediate response of evil within the boy to the presence of Jesus. Listen to it from Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, the apostle Paul says this, the apostle Paul says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, that's, that's a you and me before Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying no one in the world lives in a neutral zone. You either live in darkness, away from Christ, or you live in the light because you know Christ... But no one lives in the middle. There's no semi-darkness. There's no semi-light. You either live in the darkness, away from Christ, which is where we are by nature, because we live in rebellion to him. All we, like sheep, had gone astray. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, we, the Bible says, are spiritually dead and you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins wherein, listen to this phrase wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. In other words you just did what everybody else did you just thought what everybody else thought you just went where everybody else went however, listen to the rest of this verse according to the prince and the power of the air that the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience In other words, when I just did what everyone else did, when I just thought what everyone else thought, I was actually fulfilling an agenda in the world. And the agenda that I was fulfilling in this world when I did what everyone else did, when I thought what everyone else thought, was an anti-God spirit It wasn't a spirit that just floats out here somewhere. No, no, I was actually accomplishing something that was against what God intended. And that is where you live if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where I lived before I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dead in trespasses and sins. Living according to the prince and the power of this air. And following after an anti-God spirit. Which works us, works out in us and causes us to be disobedient unto God. That is where you are, if you do not know Christ, that is where I was when I did not know Christ, and watch—that is where this boy in this text is. He's not just a victim of circumstances, and neither are you. It's not just your upbringing. It's not—you can't just blame your parents. We love to to live as the victim in this culture, but this is what the Bible teaches us in regards to our relationship with God. We have sinned. We knew what God wanted. We knew what God had designed us for. We knew the word of God. We had the spirit of God ministering to us, and yet we chose to rebel against God. We thought we knew better than God. Perhaps we thought we were God. And instead of living obediently to him, we disobeyed and we lived according to our own sinful and lustful passions. So what would we do? What can we do? What will we do? Well, the answer is you and I can do nothing. We're just like this boy. You and I are helpless in this situation. And so are the disciples who've tried to help us and yet listen to the text in Ephesians chapter two and verse number four. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are ye saved. How are we safe? How are we made alive? How are we made right with God? How is our sin dealt with? It is only dealt with through the love that Christ displayed for us when he died on the cross in our place. But God commended his love toward us. God proved his love. God showcased his love. You remember when your husband gave you your engagement ring? Remember that? Big shining rock. Took every dime he had. And rightfully so, you were worth it. And you got that. And now every picture you've ever posted is like this. You went to the office the other day, oh, look at this. Could you give me some of that coffee over there? What were you doing? You were showcasing it. You were were commending it. That's what you were doing. You're showcasing. God showcased his love. God commended his love to us. Why? When? How? How do we know God loves us? While we were sinners, Christ died. For us, while we're sinning, Christ is dying in our place. Here's the collision. The collision not just for the boy, but even the collision for you right now. Because even now, those of you who have not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not yet fallen victim to the love of God. Even right now in your heart, you reject that. You think that can't be, that's not enough. I have to do something else. Why would God love me? If God's so loving, why did these things go bad for me? Even right now in your heart, there's a collision of light and darkness, of good and evil, of the love of God versus the love of self and sin. Even happening in your own mind right now, thinking this guy can't be right, but you need to hear me. It's not about this guy. It's not about this church. It's about what does God and his word say? And that is what God's word says. And you will either choose to yield yourself to the love of God. You will either choose to believe on the love that God displayed for you and for me on the cross. You would choose to love your own way. You'll choose to love your own sin. You'll choose to love your own self. The collision of light and darkness doesn't just happen in the text, it even happens in our own hearts. Second, the compassion. The compassion of Christ. How long is it since this came to him? It's a great question, isn't it? That's a a legitimate question that any person should ask when they see a child in this kind of situation. And Jesus asks this question because of his compassion. And the man responds, it's been this way for a while So he says in verse 22, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible. He put the if in the wrong place. Here's what Jesus is saying the real if is not if I can, the real if isn't in my ability. Watch. The real if is in his humility. The real if isn't in Jesus' ability. The real if is in the man's humility. It's not if Jesus can. No, Jesus can. All things are possible with our God. But no, Jesus can. The question really is, will this man humble himself? It's the same question for you. The father believed that Jesus would. The father just didn't think that Jesus could. Do you believe that Jesus can? Remember the Philippian jailer, the story of Acts? The Philippian jailer asks the disciples, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas respond to the man. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Nothing more complicated than that. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many people upon hearing that message who go, no, 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 no. I mean, mean, what, what do I have to actually do? No, there is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do. All that was required to be done was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Believe and thou shalt be saved. So why does it say simply believe? Why does it say all is required is faith? Well, because all of us are putting our faith somewhere. imagine, I'll do this, we'll we'll get to the next point next week, but but watch this. Imagine if if God were to say, hey, listen, if you want eternal life and forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven for all of eternity, if you want that, all you have to do is bring me $1,000 cash. Would you do that? If that were the offer, would you give God $1,000 in order to gain that in return? Of course. Of course. What a great deal. There you go. And so you would do that, and I would do that. Of course we would. But what about people who don't have $1,000? They would immediately be left out. They couldn't have eternal life. They couldn't have forgiveness of sins. They couldn't have a home in heaven. What if God said to you, all you need in order to have an eternal life, in order to have a home in heaven, all you need is to run around the building 25 times. How many of you would do that? Let me see. Yeah, sure. Sure. Sure, you'd do it. You'd you'd be a fool not to do it. But what if you can't do it? What if if you can't run around the building 25 times? Well, then you would be left out, wouldn't you? The gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins couldn't be yours. Do you see? Watch. This is why the promise of eternal life hinges only on this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because not everyone has $1,000 and not everyone can run and not everyone is religious and not everyone can feed the poor and, and, and feed the hungry or clothe the poor. Not everyone can do all those things, but everyone has faith. And the question is, where are you placing your faith? I'm asking you. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed on him? Watch this. The man gives a great answer. Look at verse 24. i got to show it to you. Look at verse 24. Watch. The man gives a great answer. He says this. He says, verse 24, no, verse, yeah, verse 24, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. What, what a great answer. Here's what the man says. The man says, I actually have an imperfect faith. I believe, help my own belief. Watch, you can have an imperfect faith if you have placed that faith in a perfect savior, which is what the man does. You know, only the message of Christianity says that. Only Christianity says that. Only Christianity says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You'll only find that promise in this book right here. Every other religion in the world says, oh, no, 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 you better believe all the way. If there's even a little bit of doubt, then you're kicked out. Only Christianity says, you can have an imperfect faith as long as that imperfect faith isn't placed in yourself, it isn't placed in your righteousness, it isn't placed in your self-indulgence, it isn't placed in a church, it isn't placed in any pastor or priest or pope, as long as that faith is placed in the perfect person of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, you may have a struggling faith, but have you placed that faith in Jesus have you placed your faith in Jesus the disciples are lacking power the disciples are struggling faith the disciples are neglecting prayer lord why couldn't we do that why couldn't we do that why couldn't we cast out the demon here in his says, because this kind goeth not forth but by prayer and fasting you know what prayer is watch you know what prayer is prayer is an admission That you can't. See, because if you think you can, then guess what? You won't ask God to help you. You don't ask for help if you think you can. You only ask for help if you think you can't. Do you see? And what the disciples do is they don't pray because they think that they don't need to pray. Do you see? They're dependent on their own strengths instead of depending on his. But the situation brought to them in Mark 9 was brought to them for the purpose of showing them that they can't, but he can